Hello and welcome to this very special edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I actually believe it this time because, fellas, we've kind of been waiting for this movie, The Father. It's it's the last of the fixie season must-watches before we really could do our annual uh, fixie awards. Um, so today we are going to talk about that, maybe uh, tip our hands as to uh, whether this is going to get some nominations in a couple weeks. So it's yeah, be a real quiet podcast. <laughs> Nobody says anything. Do you want to talk about my segment, or do we not want to do that? No, we do. And, and then I guess we're going to do a little something on Justice League. Another four hours on Justice League. Just Justice League, which I still haven't seen, because why would you really? I watched. I watched it again after Chapin sent that text. How many hours a day do just, you have? Just, just real quick. Just ran through it real yeah. quick. I watched it on two times speed. Date of birth? Friday, thirty-first of December, nineteen thirty-seven. You're living with your daughter at the moment. Yes, until she goes to live in Paris. No, Dad. Why do you keep going on about Paris? You told me. No, I didn't. I'm sorry, Anne, you told me the other day. Have you forgotten? She's forgotten. <laughs> Paris. They don't even speak English there. <laughs> Dad, I'd like you to meet Laura. How oh, do you do, sir? I say, you're gorgeous. Thank you. <laughs> I must say, he's charming. Yeah. Not always. Laura has come round to help you. I don't need her or anyone else. I can manage very well on my own. Everything all right? Who are you? Actually, it's me, Paul. Who? I live here. What is this nonsense? Anne? It's me. Ah, there she is. Your father seemed a bit confused. Something wrong? Where's Anne? Sorry? Anne, where is she? I'm here. What's the matter, Dad? Strange things going on around us. Don't worry. Everything will sort itself out. Saw it in his eyes, didn't know who I was. It was like I was a stranger to him. Just did something to me. I don't know what she's cooking up against me, but she's cooking something up. What are you talking about, Dad? I'm not leaving my flat! I am not leaving my flat! This really is my flat. All right, guys, so this is Florian Zeller's uh, directorial debut, uh, The Father, starring Anthony Hopkins and Fixie winner Olivia Coleman. It... It's based on a play, another movie of this year that's based on a play that I found kind of fascinating personally because this is a this is not a linear sort of movie and I think it may even do better as a movie than it than a play because I find I found it hard to wrap my mind around how this would work in the theater in, in like a, a uh, you know, live theater experience. Hmm. I, thought, um, I thought you could totally see it, but anyway, sorry. I, Go ahead. Well, you could see it in the number of actors and their interactions, but I think he did something really clever here um, with the the narrative storytelling and the way he sort of switch things up without giving you really any warning. And of course, this is a, a movie where Anthony Hopkins' character 
uh, Antony is uh, he's he's suffering from dementia. The daughter, played by Olivia Coleman, and she's trying to figure out the best way to take care of him. He's suffering from memory loss, and um, he becomes irritable sometimes. Has these mood swings. Uh, and, and the way that uh, uh, Florian Zeller shot this film, he sort of shot it from the perspective of Anthony Hopkins' character. So if you come into this film thinking you're going to try to put the pieces together or try to figure out some straight narrative here, I think you're going to be frustrated. But I've never seen a movie quite like this as far as its storytelling because it's more about the character's inner story than it is about telling the audience an actual story. And I was wondering if you guys found that effective or did you find it frustrating? Incredibly effective. Um, a, a really, a really brilliant choice. Like we talked last week about the elevator pitch, you know, I don't think this is a movie that's going <laughs> to make nope. $150 million domestic, but you know, it's like the, uh, a, a man, a man's, a man suffering from dementia's trip, you know, story from, you know, over, I guess it's like two years, really, this happens, but like from, from his perspective, like the moving from his daughter's apartment into a nursing home, assisted living home. Or, or really moving from his apartment to his daughter's apartment to a nursing home. Right. Although we don't, I don't think we ever see his apartment. I think the, um, we should talk a little bit about that because well, I think there's we some do. interesting. I think we do. Do you yeah. think so? And we, yeah, and I think we can get into that. And I think this, hmm. like, what how I want to start this discussion because this this movie is, like I said, it was a play originally. But I do want to talk about the choices at, at the filmmaker made and talk about it as a movie because of things like that. And and for example, one of the ways he tries to orient us a little bit is by changing the set. The set always stays the same, but it changes based on where we are, whether it is his apartment, um, Olivia Coleman, Anne's apartment, or the nursing home. That's not how I interpreted it. Okay. Well, we can get into that. We can get into that. And I think that's going to be a really good discussion. But uh, Lee, you didn't answer my original question. Yeah. A couple things. I mean, one, uh, I agree with you, Jeremy, in that the idea that this kind of makes a more interesting movie than it would a, a would a play. And part of that is that I have to imagine he did things differently in the way that he directed this movie and the way that he kind of forced perspective and kind of tried to manipulate us in a certain way uh, in order to put us in the shoes of Anthony Hopkins. And I think that that was a, a absolutely brilliantly effective choice to make to answer your question i thought it, it worked of, incredibly did you guys find well it surprising as a first-time director that he was able to utilize yep. the medium of film the way he did and that was a, another point that i had that i thought was really kind of amazing because you know everything else aside i i have to admit that i have a certain level of skepticism for what he took on right he he wrote the play directed the play it's his play and he decides that he's going to adapt that and direct it as a movie and it's just entirely different mediums. Like they're they're for for considering that they are both there with actors and directors and are, and the purpose is to tell stories. They they have so little in common in terms of the production of them and how they are related to the audience. So 
you know, my initial skepticism of, of him doing this, I feel like is warranted, but that makes it even more impressive that he was able to successfully execute it. You know, I think when I heard the, the, the pitch of really the, the, the uh, idea behind how this movie was made, the idea that it was from Anthony Hopkins perspective, I started thinking, I was like, okay, so like, how's he going to do this? Are there going to be some camera tricks? Are they going to have some exposition? Is there going to be, you know, what is going, what, what's the, what's the trick going to be? What's the gimmick even maybe for lack of a better term. And it didn't feel like it was really any one thing. It felt like it felt very complete. And I think, you know, to answer your question directly, like, it was just a, a brilliant choice to, to put us in Anthony Hopkins' shoes because that allowed him to tell a story that in one way or another we've probably heard before, but we saw it from an entirely new perspective, a totally new way. And as a result, he could explore different aspects of that story, which right. I, think yeah, was, I think was really I, great. I think the inclination in telling this story a lot of times would be to do it from the the children's perspective definitely yeah sort of the suffering that the child goes through as their loved one as their parent so the, this person they know so well sort of disintegrates before their eyes um and from what i understand i i haven't seen it so i could be totally wrong but the movie's still alice with julianne moore which i think did she win the oscar for that I think performance she, she might have um a few years ago I think that does that a little bit like that, where you actually get a lot more perspective from her family members and how that's how how her um, illness is affecting them. Um, well, Lee, I think you you point out why this was an effective play. I think I think what this film did and what Lauren Zeller did is is it's it's built into the to the narrative into the way it's told. There aren't camera tricks. I mean, I think he's very effective right. at using the camera, but. You yeah, have, but it's not tricks. They're yeah. not tricks. You have, you know, one person entering as one character. Uh, they kind of go around to a different part of the set, and then they pop out as another actor playing the same yeah. character. You know, one person will enter, one person will leave. And so you can imagine how this would be viewed by an audience in the play. And I think in the film, you're, you're, you are as confused as Anthony Hopkins' character. You don't know what's happening totally. because you're yep. wondering, like, wait, what's going on? Like. And you're not necessarily looking at it from the same his same perspective. You're just like, wait, what is the movie doing here? Um, yeah, and it moves well, right, so Kevin, quickly, think- and you and you and it does give you it does give you these little hints of of the of reality. Like we uh, we eventually start to understand that Olivia Coleman is his real daughter. You know, although somebody else has said that she, you know uh, the Olivia right, someone else steps Williams in. Olivia Williams said yeah. that. Um, and so, well, sorry, go ahead. Well, no, I just think you you made a you made a good point that the uh, we we are confused for the same reasons that he is, and and not necessarily well, we're confused about the same things as as Anthony Hopkins is, but not necessarily for the same reasons. Right, but I think right. that that's intentional, right? I think oh, yeah. eventually I mean, what happened with me is that I started to realize that no, this is all part of putting us in his shoes, even oh, though yeah. like we aren't suffering from dementia. This is all a very intentional choice of putting us into that into well, those. Like, shoes. It, it, it allows you to see what he's seeing. And, and yeah. before I get into that, I do want to, my counter argument to you, Chapin, and why I think this is more effective. And again, I haven't seen both, so I'm kind of arguing, uh, you know, one side without seeing the other. But like the reason I think this is more effective as a film is because you can quickly change the set and the movement and you can cut 
and you can move in and out quicker and you're sort of closer to his eyes than you would be from a theatrical experience where you're always watching from sort of a, right, a little farther right. away. And like an example I give is like, that scene where they repeat themselves over the argument, right? right. And Just about that. you wouldn't be able to have that perspective from from a theater. You can do the same scene, but you can't be in his sort of eyeballs, looking at them the same way that they're looking at him. Well, I don't know if that's have those necessarily moments. true. I mean, well, I, I think it's possible that you could have written that, but it doesn't really matter. We're not here to debate. Yeah, with I, the look, play, I, I, I would be very curious to see this play because Chapin, what you are right about is just that idea of like leaving leaving the scene and then someone else coming back in like that's all stuff that you could see was very effective on stage right but you know to jeremy's point like and the editing in this movie is just right spectacular well, like, it's jeremy, so well done jeremy your point about ma rainey's black bottom like you know you you felt a little limited by the setting and that we're always in this like recording studio but this movie makes a utilizes that in such a great way like you yeah it, the, it's, the setting it's smart is, about it. is I mean, one, you can you, you understand how it would work on the stage, but also like this is so much is revealed and it's revealed to you at the right time. Like, you know, in the second hour, um, you know, he has he has some uh, connection to his apartment and some feeling of ownership over his apartment. Eventually, we understand that it's not his apartment. So getting into that, my thought was that the it, it was the apartment over time changing, not not going from his apartment to her apartment oh i i'm almost 100 percent sure it was his apartment and then that blended in with her apartment and then that blended in and it, and it was the and i'm pretty sure it was the same set they just they just painted the walls and changed well, the set and dressing they, and it was but and that's stuff. why it made yeah. me think that it was the same it was like no that i think he did have he did have a a painting of um Lucy or that Lucy had made uh, above his fireplace that wasn't there. And he just gets confused where he is. And, you know, he wakes (laughs) up thinking he's in his apartment and certain things come back to him. And like you said, Lee, like that is all of this is 100 percent on purpose to put you in his shoes. So even when you're getting frustrated at the lack of sort of narrative or understanding of what's going on it's because he's getting frustrated at times and if you're confused you see when he's confused at times and then there are moments when you almost want to fake it and pretend you're understanding it and that's what he's doing at times and of course we'll get into the performance and how effective hopkins was or was not at that but as far as the writing and the direction and the editing and the set design that was all there to make you feel those emotions with him. And I think there's a there's something a lesson you can take away from this for, you know, for future filmmakers adapting plays in terms just in, on the topic of the setting, right? Like we were critical a bit of of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and and we didn't talk a lot about uh One Night in Miami, but again, you know, a singular room for the most part, they you know, there's some scenes outside of that, but what the father does and what it capitalizes on in the movie here, at least, is making aspects of that setting important to right. what's happening. Right. Right. Meaningful, like all yeah. of the things in that apartment are triggering all sorts of different things. Like, and even if you want to just say as simply as like a, a scene that repeats itself is the fact that they're cooking this chicken dinner, which means like her going into the kitchen is relevant. You know, that, that recording studio could have been a recording studio in Chicago or New York or like one on this side of town or this side. of It didn't matter. There was nothing in it that really made a, di- a difference in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. So 
when we were watching this movie take place all in one setting, we were it was hard to escape the idea that this was that this was one setting because it was a play first. Where here, it all seems like it's part of the story. It's all in the script. And that right. setting if, is if piv- just never, as pivotal as every character. Yeah, if this was never a play and written solely for screen, I would have said, well, it's brilliant. It's just brilliant the way it was done. Can and I, the fact can, it was a play. Can I ask you guys something? Yep. Um, so he, he at some points is, is talking in his mind. We know in his mind that he feels... Uh, he knows she's going to Paris and there are, there are points where he brings that up to her and she doesn't know what she, what he's saying. Um, mm-hmm. do you guys, it, was that, um, was that like him? What was that? Like that's not, well, yeah, cause we eventually learn that she does go. To she Paris. goes, yeah, it is true. She's going to Paris. So, so, so my question, again, so why this is, so where does the, the narrative that she's not going come right. from? Right. And, and so like, he would have to know. So like, again, I, that, that's really my I don't only think point. it's relevant. I have, I have a I, thought. I, okay. But I have a thought too. Okay. Who do you thought do you want to hear first, Chapin? <laughs> go ahead. Please, please. Cause I think he's well, agreeing on me a little bit more. Well, I think, <laughs> so I'm right. Chapin. Cause you're, cause right. Uh, <laughs> What I think is that, you know, he, he dismiss when he first hears this Paris idea, he dismisses it, right? He's like, they don't even speak English there, which is just a hysterical line that he's, that they pull off repeating throughout the movie. And so I think the, the rejection of that idea has planted a seed in his head. We're, we're to understand that that has planted a seed in his head. So now as we go through the movie, he's confused about which thing is actually true. Is it what she told him that she is in fact going, or is it what he said in that, no, you're not? And I think that that is what we're supposed to believe. That's where that idea comes from. And I think I go back to my point where I don't think it really matters. I think it happened at some point during this, whatever you want to call it, two or three year period that she said she was going to Paris, but he's he's just so jumbled in, in his mind that he can't he time to him is no longer a relevant story so right, but I think to him confusing. that emotion of the paris thing could be brought up at any point and maybe he's thinking back at times before and he's confusing the times before she went to paris and then after she went to paris or before I don't think that it, was even brought up sure before yeah. that was even brought up there was the memories of that or it, like i think i think this movie isn't really about like like I said in the my intro, yeah. what, when no, stuff I under, happens, I understand it's that. about his understanding and his experience uh, of his everyday life. And I understand that. I, I just think there were moments when he was saying to her, you're going to Paris. And she said, what are you talking about? Like he's losing it. And Right. And I think Jeremy's point to that, which makes sense to me, is that that, his, that scene that's playing out, that could have taken place... You know, that, that conversation could have taken place 10 years ago where he brought up, you know what I mean? And, and like, so in his mind, he just is mixing it. I mean, it's, look, it's a bit ambiguous. And I think there's a lot of ambiguity in in some of the things that happened in this movie. And again, intentionally that uh, trying to give you an impression of what it's like to try to navigate you know, right. a failing mind. Because like the Paris thing's a good example because no, you're right, Chapin. It doesn't make any sense in a sort of uh, a timeline of, of any sort, but that's frustrating. It frustrates you as a viewer and it's probably sort of how he feels a lot of times when he can't figure out where 
or what is happening and, and and the stories that he remembers compared to the stories that are real not that he's delusional but just like the the gaps there become the frustration i think the paris thing is supposed to show us the audience what that frustration can be because it makes zero sense logically uh of what it is and i think i think it's brilliant the way that he's able to do that without then taking the audience so far out of the movie or, or or putting them in a position where they're trying to put the pieces together when they never will and like i do i do think some people are going to watch this and go okay that happened then that happened then where mm -hmm. am i and then try to play this out as an actual I understand it thing, but I don't think that's in, no, in the intent. I get that. But I, I think the reason it stands out is because I think the, the rest of the movie does make sense once you know the trick. And it's not it's not like revealed to you in a sort of beautiful mind-esque way. It's just like, yeah, this once you understand it, it, make, it makes sense for the most part. And not that it's important to make sense. I mean, the, really what's important is that you're as confused as he is, but you start to understand. And it's done in such a good way. It's done in such a a way that it doesn't feel like, Oh yeah. Like what a clever trick that a filmmaker can pull on us. It's more, it's more like you, you start to, you start to understand why these other people are making appearances in his, in his mind. And, and I, you know, I, I, from the little that I understand about dementia and Alzheimer's, like there are mo like, it's, it's kind of a, a spectrum. Like you can go, you can have good days and you can have bad days. And so on some days you may be able to understand why, uh, the orderly appears to you as your uh, ex son-in-law. You know you can understand that, but then on other days, you he's he is manifesting as your son-in-law, and you don't know why, and so you accept him as such. And um, so I think you know it's I think it's it's realistic in in that perspective. I think another another nice piece of that. Chapin, what you're talking about, and if it's you know if this if it's a realistic representation of dementia, then great. But the fact that we're not watching a character in, in Antony that is just like completely lost the whole movie, and it's just this devastating movie, and we we see Olivia Coleman just like you know a wreck because she doesn't know how to take care of him. Because that's not exactly what this movie is. It makes it a lot more watchable. I it think. does. You know, yeah, I read yeah. a couple mm -hmm. excerpts that said like. Oh, a really hard movie to watch. You know, one of those movies you're never going to watch again. I disagree. This oh, is no. not Pieces of a Woman. This movie's actually pretty funny at times. Like, the, there's but that's, they get that those semblance moments. of normalcy. Of course, those are there. Which, like, which 100%. Is great. But, but, like, the fact that, like, you see scenes where he's behaving perfectly normally uh, shows you that, you know, this is clearly an illness that affects other people and affects him. But is not this isn't like a downer movie? I mean, I don't know. It, it, in many in many ways, it is. Yeah, but it also I found, is just, I found it's it pretty not, devastating. Yeah, it's a it's a hard like it's hard but to I, watch through the end because you sort of no, but you there, realize how scary that disease. Of course, is. right? But you guys understand what I'm saying? Totally. That this there, is not there's like, like a, a there's like a um, if it were told from the from another perspective or told from this perspective but differently, there's just sort of like an uh. A, pre a predictableness that is hard to deal with as a viewer. Like you, like if you know where it's going um, in mm -hmm. a more predictable movie and in the hands of a less skilled director or writer, 
you would, I think, um, it wouldn't be as sort of immediately engaging, you know, yeah. you're so engaged with, and they, they, they pull the strings of each little, um, element so well that you're engaged so much moment to moment that you're, you aren't focused on where it's going to go and what's the trick and all those things that, mm-hmm. you know, we talked about maybe with, even with a beautiful mind, it's sort of funny that we watch these two movies back to back, but like, yeah, totally. um, you, you aren't worried about that because it, it knows how to keep you on your toes just enough. It doesn't, the film doesn't, um, I feel like wear out that invitation. I, I feel like they are, they, they just, they know just how much to kind of keep you stringing along and they, but they also don't give you time to contemplate things as well. Um, and so it's not frustrating. The movie isn't frustrating to watch, but at the same time, it's also still quite engaging and you're always sort of wondering what's going to happen next. And I think that makes it very powerful and, 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 and is kind of what you're talking about, Lee. Yeah, I guess in the, like on the simplest terms, it's, it's like, you know, if we want to just go and say, hey, movies are meant to be entertainment yet we get a lot of movies that are just like, well, that wasn't entertainment at all. That's like literally, you know, they're trying to say something about X, Y, or Z that's just depressing as hell. This movie finds kind of a balance between the two. Like, it's kind of entertaining to go along in this ride and kind of put the pieces together and and then realize that, oh, we're not actually supposed to put the pieces together. We're supposed to kind of understand how hard it is for someone like him to put the pieces together. And that leads to sort of a devastating conclusion, of course. And it's okay to have those things in movies, but I just like that we had an opportunity to kind of enjoy it at the same time and enjoy the experience of watching this movie. Well, it also, it uses cinema to put the audience to, to help the audience understand something that they probably normally couldn't understand. It uses it as a tool for that. Instead of just saying, look how, look how much this affects other people. If they go through it, look how bad it is. Let's like actually pieces of a woman, I think. Yeah, a, exactly. It's it's not a misery porn movie. It's like it it's it's using the medium in such a clever way to actually engage an audience with this very serious topic and a very serious disease that it's this very scary ultimately. Um, you know, that can happen at the end of your life. So I think I think that's really half of the story when it comes to this movie the other half of the story are the performances because with before, before we get to those i have i have two yeah. like semi quasi critiques of this movie that i'd like to bring up one is tied to something that you brought up jeremy that i think kind of uh exists on the periphery of this movie and it's it's you know how this illness is affecting the people around anthony hopkins you know obviously specifically olivia coleman's character there's several scenes where you see her crying and you see her upset and apologizing for him uh and i think for the most part it does a really good job of allowing that stuff to exist in the movie but within that we have the olivia coleman's husband paul and that character which i felt for a movie that does such a good job of kind of subtly revealing things that is a very obvious character he's sort of he you know there's several scenes where you know he kind of bluntly tells anthony hopkins what he's thinking and how he's causing problems for the family and for olivia coleman and you know he's he's tired of him 
you know, just like hanging around. May Why is he just may go live not at have home? Been abusive. Yeah. So mm. yeah, exactly. So I w- I was curious how you guys felt about that because that was a a negative for me. That character in particular it just felt like it was a bit too on the nose for a movie that just did everything so you know subtly and 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 you know it with such nuance. Yeah, that felt it, out of place. I, it I, was a little frustrating, but I think it goes back to performances. Yeah, I don't. A little bit I think too. Rufus Sewell did not do a good job with that no. role. He yeah. he just had. I mean, I think I've seen him in stuff that I like, but he just in this film he's just too evil. Looking. He's too. Is it yeah, weird that he just evil. looks evil? He looks yeah. evil, but also he 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 just like he has no good qualities to him. He's not friendly at all. He's just a jerk. Right and um. And the, yeah, he doesn't play that role very subtly either. Um, but let's get into the good performances. So that one's bad. <laughs> well, yeah, the last I, thing I wanted to mention yeah. was the the end, the final end, how this movie does sort of wrap itself up a little bit too neatly, maybe. No, like it, I don't you think know, so. I feel like, you know, we as an audience actually at that point, I, like, because I just loved how like I was so confused about who everybody was just like he was. And at the end, it's revealed to us who all these people were and why they were appearing. And I just felt like the, that final scene, there's a lot about that final scene that is excellent. But I just think that the way it was kind of tied up and everything was a little bit explained to us well, about I what disagree. the actual truth is. Yeah, I, disag- I totally didn't work disagree. work entirely I, for me. Yeah, I, I thought it was smart because it, it, it showed you where his confusion lies and why he's been mixing things up and who like how these people who he sees every day become something else so i don't think it really wrapped anything up it it was but i think what but i think what what that ended up doing was it removed the blindfold from me but not and i guess they're explaining it to him but he's just going to forget again anyway you know like i liked that i was in his shoes the whole movie and then by the end when that stuff is revealed i'm no longer in his shoes well, that, that's what and, I mean is that is that about the spectrum is that I think you can have days like that where you, I mean, I don't know, but uh, yeah, that's but true. where you understand, yeah. understand your, your disability and, or what's happening to you in, in a, in a strange way. And then it goes back to being really bad. Um, okay. Now we can get into the, the good performances in this movie. All right, so let's start with Mark Gaddis. <laughs> right? That's who you're talking about? Yeah. Coleman. He plays uh, Sh- Sh- Sherlock's, Sherlock, Sherlock's brother in yeah. the Sherlock All right, yeah. So uh, Minecraft. both Coleman and Hopkins, I believe, are nominated for Oscars for this film. Um, all right, so we've talked a bit about Olivia Coleman on this podcast. She's a fix-you winner, for God's sake. And uh, what do you guys think favorite. of her performance here? I I thought she was great. Um, you know, she's a supporting actress, and I think I'm I'm going to talk a little bit about Anthony Hopkins in the same way. But I think she can modulate down her performance. Like she just she just is she's very um, convincing, and she she's she's I don't want to step on my Anthony Hopkins take, but like, she's just very, uh, you know, like this, her performance is appropriate to the tone of this film and to Anthony Hopkins performance. And I think, um, it could very much be like, like you guys said, I think Lee, you said like, 
I, sorry, I think it was actually Jeremy. But we've seen this yeah, from the perspective. For, yeah, it depends how brilliant it was. We've seen this perspective from the 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 the, the, the child who it's happening, the, the sort of the people around the person it's happening to. Still Alice. Yeah, that was my point, right. obviously. Um, well, I was the one who brought it up, so. Uh, <laughs> so we tied tied in this so case. You're tied. Um, make a note. Uh, but but basically, um, you know, we and we see how devastating it is to her. But you could you could like in in a lesser actress's hands, you could see how like she would want to be this bigger performance. And exactly, it's That's not. What I was gonna say like it's it, this and, movie and, is like ripe for just like a the. I hate to keep bringing it back to this movie again. I don't want this to sound like I'm critical of it, but this was like ripe for that big scene in the middle of Pieces of a Woman where Vanessa Kirby and Ellen Burstein are going at each other and like these are their Oscar moments. Like Olivia Coleman's role was ripe for that. Like in a lesser movie, that is there. And her her performance is so measured and right. like so appropriate. Exactly. Yeah. But she also like, even gets, when she cries, like she it's gets just to like, have those moments that aren't over the top but just seem totally appropriate. Yep. But also very dramatic and, and totally just sort of tear at you because you you understand and I, I, I think about the look on her face that one time he saw Anthony Hopkins sort of goes off and is talking about Lucy, his other daughter, and just how much he likes her and um just you know uh, how much not i don't know if he used the word disappointed or but he was just saying some really mean things about olivia coleman's character at that point she just she looked so devastated to be in that room right. while he but, was saying but that also stuff about that it, you could tell it wasn't the first time she was hearing that yeah and you yep. could tell that all from her face and she i mean she, well yeah. and there's this there's this great scene and like i didn't i didn't love the seen as a whole or like in the way it fit in with Imogene Poots wh- who comes in as uh, kind of to like meet him as a potential nurse to look after him and you know it's it's built up right yeah, Olivia Coleman is talking to her when she shows up she's warning her about like how they've had many nurses and they, he never seems to get along with them and he dismisses all these warnings and then he comes in and he's just charming as hell and so we're again like putting us in the shoes of the characters in this case I think Olivia Coleman's character where we're kind of watching him be charming to to this nurse and we're thinking like oh this isn't so bad and then the other shoe falls just as she expects and he kind of becomes an asshole to this nurse and you see the tears in her eyes and she's apologizing but again probably something that's happened before and she just knew it was it's, coming and you just see that's the same scene I'm talking about well, this is when she he was talking to the nurse. Yeah, not to he, that Coleman. It, that is that scene, and he talks. Oh, okay. He yeah. talks down about her in that scene, and talks about Lucy and how much she looks like Lucy. But right, yeah. exactly. But and, at and, the end of that scene, yep. But yeah, but, it's 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 devastating to see to see her. But it doesn't. It's just tears in her eyes, a look on her face. It's not anything overly dramatic. I just think that's. And I love how impressive. she has a scene where she gets to throw a coffee cup on the floor and she does get to like sort of cry it out and we're still like it's not well, she, overly dramatic yeah. because it's it's not it's totally this, appropriate she wanted to she asked florian zeller she's like i think i should go into the bathroom and throw this at the mirror <laughs> and then scream at yeah, the top right, of my lungs right. is that subtle enough and- <laughs> uh all right so obviously loved loved her in it uh hopkins i mean i think we're just waiting to talk about this because I, mean, I, I have a feeling we all are on the same page of, 
of this. I mean, is it was it was a masterclass, right, guys? This is some of the this best acting stunning. I've this seen in years. Stunning. And we're not we're not. I, I hate to do this because we don't reveal anything. But what a fucking wrench this whole movie in general, but Popkin's performance in general threw into my fucking fixie lists because everything's got to get reworked. Cut to uh, cut to John Nash's. Um, uh, garage and there's just like Lee's here like putting these things on the wall and the connecting points things all over the wall <laughs> Lydia walks in just like what's happening I yeah. mean just like what a complete performance and it makes and I mean coming off of Beautiful Mind it makes Russell Crowe's performance of, of uh, mental illness look silly I mean this is just like, and I mentioned it in my intro, but he has these moments like where he has a look of recognition and stuff when he realizes just, that he, yep. he doesn't understand the situation. He goes and he has to like sort of backpedal and because he doesn't want to look foolish in front of people. And I mean, it's just perfect. It's a, he, I thought, yep. I said the same thing. It's like you can constantly see him. This is stuff you can't teach. Like you can't even direct an actor to do. You can constantly see him trying to catch up like his mind yep. trying to catch up and it's like what how is this person uh, accomplishing this as an actor and like the the little thing like how he's like constantly looking at his watch and like realizing he doesn't have his watch on or does have his watch on and then that triggers a story like all of these things like look all the emotions are there it runs the gamut both for him as a character and for us as an audience watching it but like it's these little things that he does exactly what you're talking about the confusion the recognition the, the little ticks that he has, like, man, what, just like across the board, such a complete and, performance. And then also the breakdowns he has, like, can I've never like seen an actor be able to pull off sort of just the hearty, sobbing, horrid cry the way he does in this movie and just totally gut you. Mm-hmm. Chapin hated like, it. He was, he was. Fine. No, I, I love him. Anthony Hopkins is one of my favorite actors, and so this was, uh, yeah. Like I did the, the, I, I, I wanted to talk for you guys for a second about the, the film The Edge, which I know you guys aren't as big a fans of as, as me, but I think that's like last September a brilliant rip-off. Anthony Hopkins performance. I think he's so good in that movie, and he's reserved. Um, and in that film, I think it's what I wanted to point out is that the bigger performances is it. Most of the film is, is he and Alec Baldwin. And in the, in the beginning of the film, when there's other people, he's kind of, he's kind of the shy, um, you know, inscrutable billionaire and they get lost in the woods. And, you know, Alec Baldwin is this, has this big reactive or, you know, big performance and, and Anthony Hopkins is just reacting to him. And I love, I love what he does. It's so subtle, but and what I think is really important about that that point is that he can switch it on. He can go from there, but then he can go, he can he can do this more. I don't want to call it like scene chewing what he's doing in this film, but he's the center of attention in this film, and he knows it, and it's his perspective, and he he knows just like Olivia Coleman does how to modulate that attention correctly. And I think that, like it's such a brilliant performance, and 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 in this case, like when you say when you think about, I mean, he's eighty three, so he's not probably far off the age he was supposed to be playing in this film, but he's still got to remember all these lines. And I was thinking like, <laughs> that's pretty impressive in and of itself, but he's so good. Yeah. He's just, um, I, I think that that scene where he's like dancing for her 
for the um, Imogen Poots character and, and, and putting on a show and being very friendly is this kind of like, he's got this kind of manic energy, but then he just like very quickly, but very convincingly switches to this sort of maniacal evil man. Um, yeah. I mean, look like, so he, I nominated, I don't know if he ended up on your nomination list last year, guys, for the two popes, but I nominated him. I don't think um, maybe for I supporting. I loved him in that movie you know obviously he won his oscar for silence of the lambs it's an iconic performance as hannibal lecter i don't i i don't know that i've ever seen him better than this oh he i i yeah this really is sort of i think performance should be taught in acting school especially for acting for film and to to be able to get those those subtleties and again this is another reason i think this is such a better medium for this story is because you can catch those moments in his eyes close, where yeah. he's he's trying to figure this out and you can tell when he's about to get angry because he can't figure it out and yell at somebody and yell about his watch if that's what's going to change the subject or if he's going to sort of backpedal it out and or if he's going to have that realization that he has a few times where he realizes something's wrong with him and he's just super saddened and wants help and and needs to be taken care of. And he goes from one extreme to the next to the other so convincingly and so easily that it's just, it's mind-blowing. And I think that's something a lot of people need to, a lot of younger actors sort of need to learn because this could have been such even you could keep the exact same dialogue the exact same story and you would you could have such a scene chewing movie yeah. between those it's two a, actors like this could it's just perfect be that this came eye right roll, after a beautiful mind yeah i roll just uh and and i and it's not even like i think that this the the dialogue is super clever or the writing is clever it's clever in its structure but it's not necessarily clever no, in its no. interaction but the way that it's performed yeah and there i and mean there are filmed. moments when you if you just sort of like dip into the film or watch a youtube clip of it he's sort of convincing as like a, a guy who's not necessarily suffering from anything like so y- right. you 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 watch him talk at some points and he's able to sort of turn off the mechanism. I was just thinking about what you said about like you never know that you would never not know that Russell Crowe has is is whatever Russell Crowe is in yeah. A Beautiful <laughs> yeah. Mind, right? Like you always are aware of it, but here he's able like it, it, it's very convincing and it makes the case for dementia seem a lot more real because you can see why it's so devastating because people you there's there's that personality left in him and, and he's still able to, he has some functionality and he can appear to, to his, you know, the people around him, like he is a functioning adult, but then very kind of smoothly uh, transitions to losing it. And like that again, it, it allows it also, this is something we didn't bring up that I think is important is it allows and Hopkins, is you know should be credited quite a bit for this too and the way he balances his performance is that like you know we first meet him in this movie and there's several scenes throughout where he's just kind of like an ornery old yeah fuck like and if you just hated him this whole movie if he was like that all the time that would really hurt the quality of this movie because it would make it hard to like 
feel bad. Yeah, to sympathize. And to sympathize, exactly. But, you know, he, you know, there's moments of humor. There's moments where, you know, he just, you know, he's not necessarily pleasant, but he's just, you know, he's not uh, unlikable. And I think that's all really important and is, is balanced really nicely. You know, he never loses the character that he is, which is kind of an ornery old fuck, but... (laughs) He also is, you know, likable enough throughout the movie that you can sympathize with everything he's going through. Yeah, I think a good example is that last scene. I want to talk about that a little bit because I, I was just so sort of blown away by yeah. it. But like the nurse comes in and he gives her attitude, says, "What are you a nurse?" and it sort of degrades mm-hmm. her. And then by the end of it, you know, he's sort of crying in her arms, wanting his mom, literally saying, "I want my mommy." It was a and devastating scene. It was completely devastating, and it, it it showed the whole range of what he could do in that one scene. What do you guys think of that last scene? Did you? He, I mean, obviously, Chapin, you like? Yeah, it. no, I mean, I was. Yeah, it was just. Uh, I I think. I mean, Hopkins is in every frame of this movie, essentially, and so it's it's like I I want to give the movie the credit of the movie to him so much, but I I just think like the way this film is able to modulate what it gives you and, and the emotional arc coming when it does at the end is, is really powerful. And, um, you know, you, 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 when you go into that scene or into those last couple scenes, when he's like tearing up and he's, you know, kind of regressing into a sort of, you know, fetal, you know fetal kind of like like a child like a little baby you 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 have such a good understanding of why he's acting like that why he's feeling that way and but he does but that emotional his emotions don't come out like that until you really have that foundation of the last i don't know like 70 minutes of the film like those and that's so important you know, they, they could introduce that earlier and you get a little of that with Olivia Coleman. You understand her emotional plight, but you don't quite understand his. You get confusion, but you don't get the tragedy yep. of it. I'm yeah. glad you mentioned that because that was what it was for me is that I was glad that he had that moment because throughout this whole movie, like you can you can empathize with what he's going through so much just in that confusion element. But you never really see how hard it is for him in that full breakdown yeah you never you you, throughout the movie you have you have these moments where you know you see his confusion you can empathize but to have that final moment at the end where he truly breaks down i think is important for a number of different reasons one i think like i said his performance you get to see this whole range of emotions you get to see the humor you get to see the confusion you get to see that that you know meltdown that breakdown at the end and you know i think that that was extremely authentic and i think it was an important part of this movie to show that this isn't just hard for the people around him because they're struggling with him being confused. It's hard for him too. Like this confusion, like think about how that would weigh on you to like constantly, constantly be confused and mixed up about who everybody is and what's happening and when it happened, you know, that, that would just totally break you down. And I think this movie lets you, lets that, lets him have that happen. Yeah. And I think sort of between the direction and Coleman's performance and in Hopkins' performance, what this movie ultimately gives you is instead of a movie giving you a story, it gives you the opportunity to experience sort of a human 
emotional experience experience does that make sense like you we're not they're not using these performances or the film to to sort of tell you a story it's it's about what it's this man's going piece. through yeah and i think that's really unique it's a, it's a think piece about a aging man <laughs> dying <laughs> struggling Brent. with his own mental <laughs> illness yeah. Two things. One, one thing that I just think is is sort of like anecdotally incredible about this movie. Or I guess not really anecdotally, but like just technically kind of incredible about this movie is that you know you could have it play out exactly the same, not not a single edit done differently. And this, you could probably say this about a lot of movies, but I think it particularly applies here. But you adjust some color correction and change the music, and suddenly it's a horror film. Yeah, like I just think I was, it's. I was like, thinking about this movie if Darren Aronofsky had directed it, right? Like, yeah. but is it? It's like Black Swan if, yeah. <laughs> if that happens. Like, and I just think that you could probably make that argument with anything, right? There's all sorts of like memes out there where like they change the color grading or they put in a different soundtrack or something, and suddenly it's a different movie. But like this, very much so. Like just the things that are happening, the confusion, like different characters being uh, portraying the same or different actors portraying the same character. You change the music, the mu- the mood, the tone of this movie, and it's entirely different. And I, but, I, and my point there is, I think that like kind of speaks to the seamlessness of like how this was produced. Like every cut is so expertly executed, and like everything is so finely in place that it could function regardless of kind of the setting you put it in. Hmm. Lee, where where did you stand on Chapin and I's argument about the set dressing? Do you think? It was really the the three different, or yeah, three different locations just I, jum- jumbled in time, or yeah, I don't, stupid thing I, I don't know said. that I ever really. So, do we ever see anything that is like definitely his apartment? Uh, yeah, I think right? I think we do because I think at the beginning it is. I if I think that the Lucy picture was his apartment. Right, we but see it's the, lay, the layout, but the set is still the same exact The set's the same living room. in all three, and I think that's on purpose. That's, again, you know, putting I, I think the picture is the, is, the, is the key. Like, the picture that he sees there makes him believe that it's his, his I don't apartment. Think, I don't think his apartment and her apartment and the doctor's office would, in reality, be the same uh, layout. layout. Yeah. I think it's all coming from his head yeah, and what he's I think, remembering. I think you're probably and right. The blending, I think you're probably right. And the blending sure, of the stuff. But I don't think we have any any idea of how long he's been at either place. No, I yeah. Um, I mean, we can guess years. Uh, uh, we don't know, but yeah, I think I, I think it was just another uh, smart. The other thing that thing we don't really did. have to get into a lot of, but I just was like fascinated by while I was watching this is there were there were several moments throughout this movie when Anthony Hopkins was speaking and like talking about things and that I was reminded of our ex-president Donald Trump and I was like is this a chicken or the egg thing were they like aware of were they trying to like no, emulate play, things that he did or does Donald old. Trump actually have dementia I think he has dementia yeah. I think so too but I, like I saw that too I definitely that definitely a, registered with me authentic representation of what dementia looks like so when you see signs of that it's a little scary but it yeah, was that's, a, it was pretty clear. It's there. It's for sure there. I, it, uh, it it came across my mind as well. Um, um I wanted to ask you guys. So yeah. this movie is nominated for best screenplay. 
And I know that I argued for, I think, the inherent sort of quality of this, the sort of take on this movie is built, I would imagine is built into the play. So maybe that makes sense that the um, they nominate the screenplay. But I'm wondering, I mean, is this is this more a directorial achievement? Yes, this this the screenplay has been the thing I've been struggling with in terms of like how much credit I'm giving it with this movie. But I mean, the, but, it, uh, but I, like I, I'm convinced the play they, they are on page. I'm, yeah, I'm convinced the play is is the reason this movie is so like I think I, yeah I would guess that it's built into the play. I think it's a good screenplay structurally in the way that you know everything plays out. But I think I think this is more of a directorial achievement mm. than a screenplay. Yeah, I'd lean towards the. Uh, uh, the director too and it, it goes to my point earlier about just sort of doing something new and unique with a movie and, and it being very cinematic and why I had a harder time like fathoming this as a play but that being said it's still all sort of the 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 decisions to move on to a different place or to move to a different apartment or to see a different person at the times they do are, are all on that page. Yep. So it has to get credit there. Yeah. All right. What stupid thing you want to talk about? Justice well, we don't really League? have time. I don't think so. on, on to one of the best off from one of the best movies of 2020 to the one of the best movies we've seen of 2021 so far. I don't think we have time. Do you want to, do you want to try to do it? In Let's do okay. It. All right. So, um, Lee and I talked a couple di- a couple weeks ago about the Snyder Cut. Um, you didn't have to watch it, Jeremy. Good for you. Um, but I did want to. I'm I'm glad Lee and I didn't really talk too much about this when, when uh, on the podcast because I wanted to get your opinion, Jeremy. But um, you know, we all know that this this film basically got a release on HBO Max because hashtag release the Snyder Cut uh, was became very popular. There was a um, petition signed. The fans are rabid on the internet for for this film, and we we kind of Lee and I spent a lot of time talking about why Snyder. And I don't want to go there because I think we talked that to death. But um, after the success, and if you guys want, I can give you some of the figures. I I don't know if how do you measure success on streaming these days, but um, now these people have switched to restore hashtag restore the Snyderverse. Um, and I just wanted to talk, I just wanted to ask you guys about can we tell them that there's better movies out there well, for them to watch? Yes, that would be good. <laughs> but I wanted to tell you I wanted to ask you guys what you think about the these these movements. I mean, don't don't like get caught up too much into not liking Zack Snyder. I think we're all kind of on the same page there. We're not all big fans. Um but you know, like is this what we want? Do we want this, I mean, it, the, right. the problem is it's always going to be there. There's going to be this fandom for this sort of entertainment. Like, people just love it. They eat it up. They love these so, new worlds. So, I don't know. It doesn't really bother me one way or another. It's not what I'm going to be. Well, I know uh, they love the new world. I guess what to. I'm saying is, like, is it is it a good thing for these studios to be, you know, bending to the, the will of these online movements? You know, like, they're now we better do it do you guys know what what f fcf is no so that's that's the uh that's fan controlled football have you heard about this i did hear about this yeah so fan controlled football which has lured some ex nflers to it you know johnny manzel like 
players that couldn't make it. Um, and, you know, I don't know what the exact rules are compared to the NFL, but it's basically, you know, uh, you know, quote unquote professional football players. And the plays are called by fans and this, this, you know, the, the league play, the, the, uh, games air on Twitch and people watch it there and like submit which play they want the team that they have like assigned themselves to, to run. And then based on like the pop popular vote for the play, they run that play. How long does it take? So they're like in the huddle, just like waiting for the pot though. That one, I got guess, I don't know. I haven't, votes. I haven't three, watched, but I, I don't, don't get like, but this, okay, my I point is, this is, this is the world we live in. Like, this is like, this is how things are functioning now. This is how things are run now. And, it's annoying. I think it's really annoying. Now, if it stays in the Snyderverse, then fine. Keep, but go ahead. Well, yeah, but um, but, yeah, ima- them, but imagine it. like <laughs> imagine PTA makes a movie and and somebody watches it and like they hate it, but we really want. It. I mean, like yeah, I'm just I'm just trying to play devil's advocate here. Imagine he's in the editing room and we're like he gives us four options for which clip to use for the well, yeah, that's not the same Don't let's not pretend we wouldn't love that. That would be amazing. We would absolutely love if we if he was about to he like he could narrow it down to like his his top six and he gets yeah. to, we get to play him over and decide and we can piece it together. Yeah. Yep. But it's the final thing. You can't just go into the thing is if it if it was one where you could just choose and then swap just, it out and it it does no should, good should it has it be, to like have a mil- final imagine, should it be can you imagine how much nudity would be in movies should it be milkshake <laughs> or should it be soda or pop like what is, it, <laughs> is it is it is it i drink your your whiskey or should but the thing is when fincher does it then you have to choose from like right. 70 different not fun 70 different not takes fun. <laughs> But you get what I'm saying? There's the it's about the final finality of it. Like if you can then go back retroactively and keep changing it, it really the your decisions have no weight. I I, I guess yeah. I mean, I agree with all that. I, I I just think it's I think it's interesting that these that this I just think it's interesting this is happening. You know I I uh, I yeah well. I don't know. I know you said, like, let's not get caught up in the why Snyder. It's hard for me to, like, separate it because it hasn't really happened quite yet with anything else. So, like, this this thing ha- was born where, like, you know, fans basically, you know, influence the production of a, of a huge movie. And it happened with this movie. <laughs> like, I, like... I, th- I feel like I would just have a totally different perspective on the whole thing if it was something else. But well, like about, instead like, it was a bad movie made by a bad director. Like it's just. <laughs> what about those things like where fans like get to bring back shows because they, they were popular yeah. and they yeah. want I mean, them. That's like, totally the same. I brought that similar. same thing up about, about how like shows continue to go because, and characters are cut from shows or stay on shows because of the response. And like right. that was never a successful way to create a a quality TV show, right? They were successful TV shows because people kept watching them, but Lost ultimately failed in terms of being a quality series because it followed what the response was instead of what the story. I, was. I don't think that's true. And I think it is. It definitely I, is. My, I think what, what what interests me the most is that we we so and we've done it. We're as just as much to blame as anybody else, but like we talk about these, you know, studio heads in terms of like 
all, all of their mistakes. We never talk Shaping. about it. You were looking around like there's a studio head. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm still you. trying to get a screenplay made. Um, the, uh, <laughs> you know, we're going to air this. Yes. The, uh, you know, but, 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 but so Chapin's worried about them being in his house, but not worried about whether they listen to the podcast. We never talk about them. There's more people listening inside my house. Um, we never talk about them <laughs> in terms of their successes. And I think like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if all these people are good or bad. I mean, a lot of them make mistakes, but, but the, the sort of the art of managing all of these players, all of these filmmakers, all of these films is, is kind of lost when you, when, you know, the, the mob on the internet is making these decisions. And, you know, I think they, I think we talked about this Lee, like, I think they made some serious mistakes managing this film. I mean, I think replacing Joss Whedon to, to make a Zack Snyder film is idiotic, but, um, I don't know. I mean, there's an art to it. There, there, there has to be. So, um, I, I think, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not convinced it's the right thing to do to sort of bend to the will of these people. But, um, I, I, I don't, I don't think that it's, I, I don't, think that that's going to be a big thing. Like, you know, I brought up the fan-controlled football. It, like, barely exists. Like, it does exist. It's functioning, but it's, like, being aired on Twitch. It's not like CBS picked it up in lieu of an NFL game, right? And, like, these things are sort of on the periphery, right? This was one movie that this happened to. This isn't going to take over the movie industry, where you know millions and millions of dollars are spent on the production of these movies, they're not going to just all of a sudden decide like, let's just create a forum and s- make what they want us to make. No, I don't think that. But uh, but I mean, so uh, my point is just I don't think it's going to become a big thing. Like I think it'll always exist, and it will probably exist even more so than it does now. But I don't think it's ever going to take over to an extent where we really have to talk about it a lot. Good. Yeah, I, I agree with Chapin. I don't think it it's a good thing, but I, I also agree with Lee. I don't think it's going to be something that takes over. But I can just imagine like the NFL just like, oh, Brady Brady drops back and he's taking his pants off for some reason. <laughs> well, that was the number one vote, Al. <laughs> All right. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. We have a new email it's feedback at gyffpodcast.com. So we still are open for uh, voice memos for the Fixies, which is in two weeks. So See, please get weeks. those in and uh, let us know what your favorite of the 2020 is. And uh, I think we'll catch you next week for the pre-show of the Fixies. It's already here, people. It is already here. <laughs> I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.